Welcome to the 180 Ministry Podcast. Please check us out at the1-80.org. Today we're going to be talking about a very interesting subject that I have been studying, and hence I title today's message, The Unshaken Water Walker. And so as we go into the message, I pray that it will be as much of a blessing to you as it has been to me. And so let's just have one more word of prayer as we go into our subject for today. Father in heaven, thank you so much, Lord, for your word. And I pray, O oh God, that today you will inspire our minds, our hearts, and that it will lead to transformation in our lives to draw us ever closer to the Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world. The Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. Do this in our lives and strengthen us, we pray. Let all of God's people say in Jesus Christ's name, amen, amen, amen. So you're with me there in Matthew chapter 14. When you are there, say amen, Matthew chapter 14. And we're going to verse 21. Amen. That was fast. Praise the Lord. Matthew chapter 14. And we're going to be starting at verse 21. Now the context is that Jesus has just fed 5,000 men. All right. Now trick question for you. How many did Jesus actually feed? 5,000. Okay. So let's check this out. So verse 21 It says there in Matthew chapter 14 and verse 21, and they that had eaten were about 5,000 men beside women and children. So this is very serious. Jesus with five loaves and two fish had fed probably over 10,000 to 15,000 people, right? If you include women and children. So this was a lot of people that Jesus had fed. Now, after he does this powerful work of feeding them, the Bible actually tells us that the people, as you compare each gospel with one another, uh, some other gospel writers may include points that have been missed by Matthew. And as you take all of them together, you realize it's not only just probably over 10,000 people, over 15,000, but after he did this powerful miracle, they wanted to make him king. And so they were so adamant about it that not only did the people want to make him king, it says the disciples even wanted to do it. It says in verse 22, how did Jesus respond to this? It says, and straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him unto the other side while he sent the multitudes away. So amazingly enough, question for you guys, does Jesus want to be the king of the lives of men? Yes. So why did he reject? We are told in inspired writings that he exerted a level of authority that he had hardly ever exerted before in this situation of rejecting being put in the position of king. So why do you think he would reject it? If Jesus wants to be the king of our lives and the king of the lives, especially of the Jewish nation, which he had come to bring revival to, why would he reject it? Was there something that he had to go through to get to be where he wanted? 
Yes? Okay, what do you guys think that is? Yeah, he had to go through the cross. So he had to die to rise to that place that he wanted. Now, he had always been the king. But in order to fulfill his father's purpose, he went through the cross to become what he wanted to be for his people and for the entire world. And so in light of this now, the Bible tells us that Jesus rejected this agenda of the people to make him king. Now, as I looked at this, how many of you have probably seen this in your lives? I know that I've seen it in mine, and God is strengthening me in that area. Sometimes it can get you into trouble, but trouble for God's sake is good, right? So I looked at this story, and I was wondering, you have over 10,000 people seeking to make Jesus king. Jesus rejects the effort of the people. I know that in my life, even when one person, let alone two, tries to shift me from a certain place, in order for them to get me to that place many times, if I'm not careful, I can be led astray. How many of you can testify to that? Now, let alone 10,000 people trying to make you something. The first point I want to bring out here is this. Over 10,000 minus or minds united could not lead Christ away from his father's mission for him. We must plead with God for a mind that firm and that devoted to God's will. Not even 10,000 could lead us away from God's purpose. Once we know what the word of God says, we must stand on that word even if it cost us our lives. I was reading in a powerful book by the name of, some of you probably heard it, it's called Mind, Character, and Personality. And it tells us this in this statement. It says, Mind, Character, Personality, Volume 1, page 74. Listen to this statement. It says, The mind must be trained through daily tests to habits of fidelity. So how must the mind be trained? Through a nice, flowery life. Is that what it says? No. Through daily tests. Our minds must be trained to fidelity. What's another word for fidelity? Faithfulness, right? So God trains us through tests. It says to a sense of the claims of right and duty above inclination and pleasure. Minds thus trained do not waver between right and wrong as the reed trembles in the wind. But as soon as matters come before them, they discern at once that principle is involved and they instinctively choose the right without long debating the matter. They are loyal because they have trained themselves in habits of faithfulness and truth. So God wants to train us to that degree. That when a situation comes upon us, it does not take long for us to know what is right and what is wrong. And then to stand for that which is right. Of course, the the way we stand, I always say this, one of my friends, we got into uh, a quote-unquote very heated, loving discussion on this topic. And um, it was the subject of not only standing for the right, but also how we stand is also important, right? (laughs) 
I have learned that over the years. That we must stand for truth. But friends, as we look at Jesus Christ, we realize that in every situation, he was very wise. There were some situations that called for blatant boldness in standing for the truth. Such as Matthew 23, where Jesus pronounces the seven woes upon the scribes and Pharisees. But then there are other situations where Jesus' rebukes and standing for the truth was very tactful. And he was very smart in how he reached the subjects that he was seeking to reach. And so may it be with us that not only may we stand for God's truth, which is the only truth, but also know how to stand for that truth by the power and the wisdom of the Holy Ghost. Amen? So we see that Jesus is showing us here through inspiration that our minds must be trained to stand for the truth. Now, as the story goes on, it tells us in verse 23, it says, And when he had sent the multitude away, so (laughs) picture Christ. The people are trying to force him to be king. His disciples are seeking to force him to be king, leading the multitudes to this agenda. Jesus sends his disciples away. The Bible says he constrained his disciples. Verse 23, then he dismisses over 10,000 people. In other words, Christ was not afraid of destroying the desires of people concerning him. Right? He wasn't afraid of that. The story continues. It says he went up on a mountain apart to pray And when the evening was come, he was there alone. So he passed this major test, and then he dismisses everyone. And then the very next thing that he does after winning this victory of standing against something that was against his father's will, he then spends time with his father in prayer. Now, we're going to see that the result of this fidelity towards God, standing for God's mission, Dismissing the multitude's agenda and spending time with his father in prayer resulted in Jesus doing something that no one else had ever done before him. The Bible continues saying, but the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. Now here's where I'm going to ask you a question. Verse 25 says, and in the fourth watch of the night... Jesus went unto them walking on the sea. Now, does anyone, I'm reading from the King James Bible, verse 25. Does anyone have another translation of verse 25? Instead of the fourth watch, does your Bible have anything else? Okay, so... The fourth watch is actually the moment just before dawn. Okay? Now, the Bible is about to show us here that just before the daylight came, the night got worse. Something that we must ever remember in life is that when we go through tests and hardships, when we go through trials... Sometimes it gets worse before it gets better. And God wants to cause us to depend on him when it does get worse. Hence, 
My next point is to say something that we must ever remember, which I mentioned before, is that at times the darkness comes just before the dawn. We must believe that the dawn is coming. What helps us stand through the darkness is to know that a better day is around the corner. God wants us to see beyond the trial that we may face so that we can stand in the trial that we face. Crucial principle that I've seen in life is that God liberates us in mind mentally before he liberates us in life physically. Powerful example of that is you look at the Babylonians as they took Israel captive. They took the people of Jerusalem captive for 70 years. Yet God called them in that captivity to live as though they were free. It actually says, Jeremiah the prophet tells the people, as you're in the city of Babylon, build houses and live in them. Plant vineyards and reap from them. Pray for the city in which you dwell for their prosperity and thrive and grow as a people. In other words, they weren't to live, even though they were in bondage, they were not to live mentally in bondage. And so what happens then? God says, because I'm trying to liberate you before I liberate you. The time was going to come after the 70 years where God was going to free them. But if they did not learn to follow God in captivity, they would not follow him when they were liberated literally. Friends, you may be going through trials today in your life. And God wants to free you before he frees you. He wants to liberate you in mind, mentally, before he liberates you in life, physically. Because if we can be faithful to him in the storm, when the storm is over, the character of fidelity would have been formed already. So we will only continue in our faithfulness. And it's a hard lesson, but nonetheless, it is a powerful lesson. For we learn fidelity through the daily test that we face. It states in verse 26 now, it says, And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, now think about it, friends. If I saw Jesus coming to me in my storm, I would automatically think that I would be happy, right? But look at what happens here. It says in verse 26, And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying it is a what? It is a ghost. It is a spirit. The the Greek word is a phantom. They thought that death was coming. It says they, it says it is a spirit and they cried out for fear. So powerful point that I want to bring out here is that Jesus is coming to them. And of course, he's coming to do what? He's coming to save them. But the way that they see him is as a harbinger of death. It's very interesting as you go back in Jewish history, you realize that not until the time period between Malachi and the book of Matthew, or Malachi and John the Baptist, before the time of of this period, this intertestamental period between these two prophets, The people of God did not believe in ghosts. As a matter of fact, they were supposed to kick out anyone that taught people to deal with familiar spirits. 
So this was not a teaching among the Jews prior to the time of Malachi. Or prior to the time of, yeah, Malachi backward. But as this time period between Malachi and John the Baptist takes place, these two prophets, what ends up happening is Greek mythology and philosophy creeps in among God's people to the point where they start believing in ghosts. They start believing in the dead, haunting the living. And so as this situation comes up, the disciples now reveal this belief system. That as Jesus is coming to save them, they're viewing him as a harbinger of death. Which leads, which leads us to our third point. Sometimes when facing the trials of life, the very thing that God sends to save us can seem like a harbinger of death. Rather than life. We must remember, however... The crucial point the story brings out is that God is not out to destroy us, but to do what? Save us. Powerful texts many people have memorized within the church and in the world. is John chapter 3 and verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. But I have come to love the very next verse. Which says, for God sent not his son into the world to condemn it, but that the world through him might be saved. Christ came into the world to save men and women. That is his utmost desire. Is there justice coming? Is there a destruction coming to the wicked? Of course. But it is God's desire to save the wicked. It is his desire that they come to him that they might be transformed and ultimately saved at last. Even when the wicked, unlike how humanity responds when the wicked perish, do you know that God does not even rejoice in the death of the wicked? The Bible tells us. Because he knows once that person passes off the scene, that's it. God is desiring to save. And so our hearts must be like Jehovah's. Now, there's something that happens in verse 27 that changes the disciples' mindset from one of fear to one of hope. It says in verse 27, And straightway Jesus spake unto them, his disciples, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I. Be not afraid. Now notice, once this happens, the very next verse says, And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, Bid me come to you on the water. So this is a powerful truth we're seeing here. What changes this entire scenario? What changes the mindset of the disciples from one of fear to one of hope? The word of God. (laughs) Are you discouraged today, my friend? Are you going through hardships that have snuffed out the hope that is in you? Go to the word of God. Claim the promises that are there. Continue to claim it until it lays hold of the fear and doubt in your mind and obliterates that fear. Friends, God's word is a word that inspires. It is a word that gives hope. And it is a word that gives us faith to do things that have not been seen before. You see, how many people before Jesus 
had walked on water in the Bible? None. <laughs> right? So Jesus comes into the situation and God is able to trust him with such power because he is totally devoted to God's will. And so God gives him the ability to do things that had not been done, and not just in Israel, but in all of human history. But I want you to see this. So my fourth point is this. Jesus comes to them walking on water. Now, what was the thing that was threatening their lives? The water. So here's my fourth point, and this blew my mind. Jesus came walking on the very crisis that threatened the lives of the disciples. Meaning that our trials do not terrify God. Instead, they are beneath him. He walks on them. He is above them. The reason that we can have hope that we can stand in the midst of trials if we are with God is because God walks on our trials. They are nothing for him. And friends, you know what's the powerful thing? If we unite with God, he will enable us to do the very same thing. Because when Peter saw Jesus coming to him on water, what did Peter say? Lord, if it is you, bid me come, (laughs) right? And so did Jesus say, no, this is exclusively for me. Is that what he said? (laughs) No, right? Jesus said one word, come. And Peter, it says in a, a powerful book by the name of Desire of Ages, this is where, this, this was his downfall. Peter, as Jesus said, come, he looked back at the disciples with a snicker. And he says, you see, I'm going to do something that you're not able to do. And so he gets on the water and powerfully enough, what does he start doing? He's walking on it. As long as he continues to behold the son of man and look straight forward to him in the midst of the storm, he was able to do the impossible. You see, Jesus is the unshaken water walker. He walks on the storms of life. And if we connect with him, if we focus our eyes upon him, Friends, we can walk on our storms too. God can enable us to walk on the impossibilities of life, the impossible situations that we face, the trials that threaten to take us, the trials that cause us to doubt. God can enable us to walk on these trials. Friends, as long as we keep our eyes on him, we can continue doing the impossible. This is why I know that I know And that I know that it is possible for us to live like Jesus. It is possible for us to live a victorious life. A victorious life is an impossibility without Jehovah. But if we are connected to Jesus, we can do the impossible. And we can live a life of victory. So, my fourth, my fourth. Uh, I would say, yes, my fifth point is this. As we trust in the spoken word, Jesus said, come, and the one the word reveals, we are then enabled to do the impossible. To be water walkers like Jesus, being victorious in and over our trials. 
Friends, God, I'm realizing as we go through the trials of life, God truly knows how much we can handle. I'll give you a story. When I went to Michigan last for my friend's wedding, um, you know, the wedding was over. It ended. And then I was there for another four days. And as I was there, I was connecting with different friends of mine. And so one of my friends, he said, brother, come on, come over to my house. Let's hang out. I just changed my, my, he moved and he changed his entire garage into a gym. And so I said, man, yeah, for sure. I'll come, I'll come and, and we'll hang out. And so as I went over there, he opened it. It was so, I was like, whoa, I hope I could do this one day. So he, he carried me into the gym, right? And we enter into this dark room. And I could see that it's the gym because I can see from the little light that enters the room some of the weights. And so as I go in there, he then does this, right? So the room is completely dark. And he says, Siri, lights on. And the lights come on. I'm like, whoa, what just happened here? So the technology turned the light on. And then he says, Siri, I want you to turn on the music to the capacity of 30%. And music comes on, and it just starts playing. And I'm like, whoa, this is really cool. And then he says, Siri, turn on the TV to this workout session that we're going to work out to. And Siri does it. I'm like, bro, this is too much power, man. This is too much power. He's like, bro, this is so cool. This is so cool. So he continues doing it. And then after everything's on now, he says, all right, bro, today what we're going to do is we're going to practice. We're going to do some squats. And so he takes the barbell, he puts it where it needs to go, and then he puts a weight of 10 on each side, right? And so I'm like, okay, yeah, that's very simple. That's easy. And so I do a squat, and as I do the squat, feel the weight on on, on my shoulder, and, and then I come back up, and then I put it back on. Him and I do 10 each, or he does 20, I do 10. And then... He puts, he adds on either side 20 pounds. I'm like, what is this guy doing? And so as he does this, I get under, I don't say anything. I get under it and I do the 10 rep. I do the 10, the 10 squats. And so he does about, he does 20 again. So we put it back on the, on the, on the, the part that holds it up. And then he adds 20 again. On either side. And that's when I spoke out. I was like, "Ah, I don't know about that, bro. I don't know about that. And he says, don't worry, just try it, just try it, just try it. And so I get under the the barbell. And he says, now what we're going to do is we're going to decrease it from, we're going to decrease our reps by two. So now instead of doing 10, you can do eight. And so I did the eight. And I was shocked. I was like, I thought I couldn't do this. And then I said, okay, that was great. That was a great workout. We put the barbell back on, and he adds another two. And I'm like, what in the world is this brother doing? And so he does it, and he's do, he does 15. I do now six. And so I'm like, wow, that was a great workout. I turn around, and what do you think he's doing? Adding more weights. And so he adds more weights. And then he says, brother, just try it. Just try it. And so I try it. 
And this time I was able to get four in. I was shocked. Now, by the time we're done now, he says, Akeem, I saw your doubt on the second try, but I knew that you could do more. And friends, what that taught me that moment was that the trials that we go through, God knows what we can bear. Sometimes what we feel we can bear, I wouldn't say it's nothing. But don't get me wrong, it's nothing compared to what we can really bear. And God knows how much we can really bear. And so as I did that, do you know what happened? By the time I was done doing the squats, I had squatted almost twice my weight. And I looked at that and I said, whoa, I could do more than I'm thinking. And hence, many times in the crises of life, you know what's the greatest hindrance to overcoming? The mind. A mind not submitted to Jehovah is a mind that is weak. But when the mind is connected to Christ, it says omnipotent power, powerful book by the name of Steps to Christ, says the will of man united with the will of God is omnipotent. (laughs) Think about that. The will of man United with God's will, it's no longer weak, but it is all powerful. And that's what God wants to give us in our lives. The power to have a mind that is omnipotent because don't look away from God, but look to him. The moment that Peter, as we uh, start wrapping up, the moment that Peter turned away his eyes from Jesus... That's the only moment when he sunk. Before that, he was doing the impossible. So it is with us. But you know, Jesus is a good God. Because the moment he turned his eyes off of Christ and he yelled out for help, what did Jesus do? He immediately helped him. Sometimes you may fail in the trials that you're facing. But I tell you the truth, if you call out to Christ, he will help you. He will not leave you to perish. To him that comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. Christ will help us if we are willing to be helped by him. Cry out to him, call out to him. But above all else, let us train our minds to behold him. If we can behold, God will have a church. He will have a people that he can make a specimen through which he can demonstrate what true fidelity to God looks like in your life and mine. And so with that, I ask you to bow your heads with me as I make an appeal As we close this message, as you are thinking in your mind right now, you're probably thinking, Lord, you know the trials that you're facing. 
and God knows. And you're saying in your heart and in your mind, whether you are going into a trial, whether you are in a trial, or whether you're coming out of one, life consists of trials, valleys, and mountaintop experiences. If it is your desire, all heads bowed and all eyes closed, that you may be trained. If it is your desire that God would train you, as it is my desire as well that God would train me, to learn to behold Jesus now, to have an eye single to his glory now, so that when trials and tests come, we would be prepared and our eyes will not be taken from his presence or his person. If that is your desire, to learn to behold him today, that we may continue to behold him tomorrow, I ask you to raise your hands as you're sitting in the sanctuary. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. As your hands are raised, I'll end with this prayer. Father in heaven, I pray, O oh God, that you will lead us and that you will strengthen us to continue to behold you, to continue to behold you in the person of your son. May our eyes never be taken from him, but may we continue to see him in the word, to spend time in scripture, to continue to look into the providences of life and behold your hand at work in us. May we know that you love us so that when the tests come, that we may continue to behold This is my prayer in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Please look us up online at the1-80.org and at the 180 YouTube channel. Please reach out to us with any questions or prayer requests. Until next time, thanks for listening.